I have a last-minute packing thing. I'm leaving for Hawaii in three hours and still haven't opened my suitcase. I never have time to pack and download shows before leaving for the airport. But I just got super-fast fiber internet for my house and all those problems have vanished. I mean, I still wait until it's three hours before my flight to pack, but now I'm able to download my favorite shows in seconds while I run out the door. Super-fast fiber internet. AT&T. More for your thing. That's our thing. Limited availability may not be available in your area. Actual customer speeds may vary and are not guaranteed. Go to att.com slash fiber to see if you qualify. Everybody in this world is a bunch of communists and homosexuals. <laughs> Good Snow, snowflake, snowflake, pansy, panty face. <laughs> uh, panty waist. Well, oh, good, crunchy. That should get us about a hundred. That should get us about a hundred likes and six down votes. Okay, well, yeah, ministry depends. sucks. It, <laughs> if you if if you post it on yours, it, well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a weird week. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. And it's only Monday. <laughs> Things have been strange. Uh, we've been you know, we, 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 right here on the Rattle and Broadcasting Network. Just to let everybody know, go check out some of the other great podcasts that are on here. I know we'll do plugs here later, but uh, apparently our Metal Hammer of Doom episodes are they're pretty popular. And some of it and not the greatest way and some of popular. it is popular. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you'd call it that or not. But either way, right here on the Source Material YouTube channel, you should be able to find something that we've talked about here recently that might uh, it might tickle your bag. It might tickle your bag. It might it might stir some emotions. I don't know. It might get you upset. You know, it, he said it, and I was like, "Oh, that's gross." And then you said it, <laughs> and I threw up a little in my mouth. <laughs> but this evening, well, my job here is done. Yes, yes, you won. Uh, this evening, we are coming together here on the Source Material Podcast. Ronnie Adams, how are you doing this evening? I'm well. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. Mark Radlich, are you ready to discuss some comic books? Sure. Okay, that's that's a good answer. That's yeah, a good why answer. not? It's a good answer. Well, we're here. So tonight we have uh, a couple books that we're going to be discussing, and it all came out in a trade called The Worlds of Krypton. This, I think, might be potentially a first here on the program where me and Ronnie were not able to find half of this book digitally, and our good buddy Mark Radlich coming through with the physical media, you know, doing his due diligence and and being a good boy and and paying for his stuff up front, he has got the first book while I have access to the second one. Now, what book is that? All right. All right. So March 6th, they did a reprint and a, and a combined uh, combination that was entitled Superman, the many worlds, plural, of Krypton. It's split into three sections. The first section is a compilation of various Superman comics, and I'm going to read through these really quick. There's also an introduction by Paul Kupperberg. Uh, so chapter one is The Fabulous World of Krypton, and you've got Superman number 223, 233 rather, from 1971. 
the doomsayer superman 236 from 1971 a name is born superman 238 1971 the man who cheated time superman 240 1970 these are all 1971 all in the mind 248 1972 the greatest lantern of all 257 the face on the falling star 266 which is 1973 and finally the stranger superman family number 182 1977 chapter two is a limited series split into three parts called uh the world uh sorry world just there's no the world of krypton and this is by writer paul kupperberg and penciler howard chaikin and it's entitled in the book the life of jor-el the uh there's the jor-el story this planet is doomed and the last days of krypton does it have a a year there yeah 1979 okay (laughs) And then chapter three is The World of Krypton, which is the one you guys were able to find, which also was printed as a trade. And it's got the sky blue cover and the people driving the little flash cordon ships. That's a four part series. And that's from 1987-88. And that's pieces, The World of Krypton, After the Fall, History Lesson and Family History. What these are, and we're only going to focus on chapter two and three here, which is, again, World of Krypton and The World of Krypton. What these These are two distinct interpretations of the rise and fall of Krypton, focusing on the L family. The first part is specifically about Jor-El. The second part deals with the great clone war, uh, or the the war, rather, the war for clone rights that... that led to the end of crypto. What is the giggling about? Clone War. I, I feel a very uh, Star Wars. Uh, I, that's did I punch his wife in the face before they got married. <laughs> um, no, he loved Lara. That's that's one thing that comes out very clearly in the book. But sorry, the the war for clone rights, which definitely has some allusions to the idea of a of, of a civil war erupting in this country over abortion rights or or gay rights but i digress mm-hmm. um there's there's definitely some political undertones here whether they, they meant it or not again this being 1987 we'll, we'll get into that when we get there but yeah essentially that's what we're going to be talking about tonight and we're doing that jesse because this wednesday on the sci-fi network begins the 10 episode brand new series krypton which deals with superman's grandfather as i recall i want to ask real quick before we get into this uh are you I'll start with you, Mark. Are you excited about this new series? Are you, is this something you're definitely going to watch? Is there something that you've seen in the previews or whatnot going, oh, man, I've got to watch this all the way through? Or are you just kind of going into it with, I'll check out the first one or two episodes, and if it's Gotham, I'm leaving? No, I... <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely am excited about it. I'm definitely going to watch. Um, um, I wish it would go directly to Hulu, but this mm. is this, much like Unsolved: The Murders of Tupac and the Notorious B.I.G. I may actually, I may actually have to DVR it because I don't watch anything live. I'm too busy podcasting. <laughs> but I, uh, I may have to sit down and set up the DVR to, uh, to, 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 God, I'm showing my age to tape Krypton. <laughs> Um, and, and watch it later. But yeah, I'm excited for it. You know, I haven't seen, I've seen some stills. Uh, I've seen a little bit of the commercials here or there, but I haven't really deep dived into the promotional material because I just, I'm going to watch it no matter what. You know, I watch all the comic book shows pretty much. I just, I'd rather just kind of sit and enjoy it as I'm watching it rather than do what I do with uh, some of the movies, which, you know, sometimes I over educate myself. 
kind of ruin the, ruin the experience. Yeah. It's easy to do with all the access that we have to just about everything to get prepared for something and all the, all the trailers, all the articles, all that junk. Ronnie, how about you, man? You, you want to check it out? Yeah. Yeah. As much as I can. Absolutely. I, I'm a little wary um, because one, it's not a CW show. Yeah. And uh, to Gotham. Um, but, uh, <laughs> well said. <laughs> thank you. I took up for Gotham as much as I could. I want everybody to know that. And then after a while, I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> um, but but I, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm ready to uh, I'm ready for something a little different. I, I think what kind of scares me is the fact that, you know, we, we had Smallville and that was a focus on Superman at a young age. And that went for quite a while. I think it went 10 seasons. I want to say it went 10 seasons. I, I could I be it wrong. Was, yeah, 10. Was it 10? And that was a good show. It's a tough sell for you to go, hey, guys, we're going to tell you a story about Superman's planet. You know, it, it, it's on sci-fi, right? You said? Yep. So uh, what's come out of sci-fi Very that's notable here lately? Well, how much you can say uh, Sharknado. And now, granted, this is, you know, this is we're talking a series versus a movie here. Sharknado is kind of known for its uh, schlock and B-movie status and its cult status because it's that's just what it's supposed to be. But I don't know if I've seen anything. There's a couple shows that come to mind off the top of my head from sci-fi that I really liked. Eureka was one of them, uh, which I believe that was a sci-fi show. Uh, Eureka was one of them. And I, I love Eureka. Yeah, Eureka yeah, was, was great. Warehouse 13, I think, was a spinoff of that, maybe, or that was somehow connected because I know they did a crossover. Winona Earp, which is not a show that I've had the chance to watch yet. I forgot about Winona Earp. I yeah. actually really enjoyed that. Pretty certain that's a sci fi show as well. What, what was the name? Z Nation? Me and the wife watched a lot of Z Nation. Yeah. Uh, man. D- DJ Qualls. DJ Qualls. Is that his name? Listen, yeah, he was about. <laughs> The only thing that I really enjoyed about the first few episodes that kept me going, because otherwise it would have just been another zombie show. I love anything with zombies, just about anything with zombies. And, but you know, after a while you just get to like, okay, this is just a really bad walking dead. Yeah. I I love DJ Qualls and I don't know why. (laughs) Well, it's, so there's your, there's sci-fi shows that I think of off the top of my head. Uh, So seeing Krypton go to sci-fi, Sci-fi, they could handle it well, or CFI or whatever it's called now. Syfy, it's I, sci-fi. Yeah, uh, it's eh, dumb. Grumble, grumble. So, uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, again, grumble, grumble. I'm uh, not the one who did it this time. <laughs> So, Mark, you you have the distinction here of bringing us the summarization of this. Uh, this is this is world of Krypton. We're talking here. Uh, so, what happens in this book? This is late seventies. I don't recognize the uh, author's name, by the way, but I do recognize the artist's name, Howard Chaikin. But uh, as for the writer, that is Paul Kupperberg. A lot of what looks to be like seventies, late seventies, Batman, Superman. Um, he's got about 29 pages. So I, I say, I don't recognize his name. He's probably wrote quite a bit. Doom patrol. Who's who in the DC universe house of mystery. So well, maybe he is an accomplished writer. I just may not know my DC as well as I should. But anyway, Paul Copperberg brings us this, this tale penciled by Howard Chaikin, which is a very prominent DC uh, artist. I'm going to turn you loose, Mark. Let, uh, let us know what happens in this book. And then I, I I'm sure I'm going to have a couple questions possibly. Okay, so this is a three a three part story, and it's about the life and times of Jor El. Starts with him as a kid, and it follows him into school. When he gets out of school, he uh, becomes a researcher and scientist in rocketry. 
he invents like an anti-gravity rocket that's made of gold because gold is basically like wood here on in in, on earth it's a plentiful metal okay it's not valuable plentiful Um, i'm sorry it doesn't matter how heavy it is because it's they're using it's not there's no propulsion it's they're using anti-gravity so he creates an anti-gravity device it's it's in the rocketry program where he meets pilot lara whatever the hell her last name is and they uh they get together and there's a whole like subplot having to deal with how their marriage was almost derailed by what okay so in krypton they developed a there was a high rate of divorce this is a this is a highly advanced very science driven society and i guess in in doing that they created a lot of problems with relationships among people it was a high level of divorce and they said okay well we can solve this with computers and so they created matricorp which was which is a place where you go to where using algorithms and such they determine whether or not you are made for each other and will and by law it is only Matricorp that can allow you to be married. So that Matricorp, very Black Mirror-ish. <laughs> yeah, it really does. So if Matricorp says, you know, you're a match, you can get married. If not, then you're shit out of luck. Well, Matricorp became self-aware and uh, created a... We'll become Android. self-aware! <laughs> <laughs> is this what I do to you guys? Because I feel yep. like a dick now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hear me say, go ahead and start the story and while we make fun of you. Uh, you didn't hear that part? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, it's Jesse's revenge. Okay. I got to go, guys. Um, <laughs> no. You got... Yeah. Go, okay, go ahead. All right. So the Matricorp builds an android for itself that unbeknownst to Lara who delivers the message that they're not compatible and they, and they can't get married. And she's like, you're full of shit. Um, and she goes to Matricorp. Uh, I don't to, think that was quite what she said. <laughs> no, she said, she said, fuck you. And the horse you rode in on it's, it's right there. in the <laughs> we know. No, no, we know how up there in the corner, Mar- Ronnie Adams, no we know how the seventies comics were with their language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, so she goes and she protests, and they they find out that that Matricorp built this android that tried to convince her that they were actually a match because Matric because Matricorp fell in love with Lara, who, oh. as I said before, is a pilot on our. So the robot Krypton. fell in love with Laura. Lara, yes. Okay. Um. Anyway, the the Matricorp is defeated, and they end up getting married, and of course they have Kalel. So a lot of the book, other than that side plot, a lot of the book deals with Jorel and the science. Science Council. You know, first he's trying to convince them of the virtue of space travel, which the Science Council doesn't see a whole lot of stock in and doesn't see the value in it. So they're fighting him on that. The, a lot of pe- a lot of people laughed and made fun of him for the gold uh, ship. They called it, you know, Jarell's fo- Jarell's Golden Folly because they don't think it's going to fly, which it ends up doing not successfully, but it does in fact get off the ground. And then, you know, as the years go on, Jarell makes the discovery that the core is unstable and that the planet's probably going to explode and then that they should build these giant arcs and get everybody off Krypton. And of course the council of elders is like, Jarrell's a crazy person. And the, and the one arc that they had built ends up like exploding or whatever. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that happens. Some of it makes Jarrell look bad within the story in the eyes of the science council. And he's just sort of at the, at the, by the, by the last days of Krypton, he's just at his wits end and he doesn't have, it answers the question, why didn't Jarell and Lara just leave? 
with with Kalel uh, when they had the chance, and they tried. <laughs> Jarrell did everything he could to save the planet, save his people, and when he ran out of time and material and opportunity, all that was left was the one ship that get to get Kalel out of uh, out of Krypton. Mm, okay, and then Krypton explodes. It's a great story. I I don't think I can do it justice to sort of telling you about it. It's one that if you can find the trade, I mean, I just this is like I said, this just came out March sixth. And I picked it up uh, on Amazon.com. But if you go to your local bookstore or whatever, and you can find the many worlds of Krypton that it has the story in it, it's definitely worth a read. It's better than the than Volume Two. It's a lot better than Volume Listen, Two. <clears throat> I was at North Carolina Comic Con, Oak Oak City, which is in Raleigh, North Carolina, or the Oak City Comic Con, as they call it. I went to multiple dealers to find this, so I could have the paper copy, you know, the physical copy of it. No one had it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it was crazy. I didn't realize it was written as early as it was, so there were some guys selling some older books, but you see the guys who sell mostly older books, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, they charge a little more because they have some, you know, they have, you know, they have some age on them. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I couldn't find it anywhere. So, thankfully, I had a digital copy of it, and while we only read, well, we only had... We only had, to, yeah, we only had that, uh, the world, the world of Krypton, the night had- 87 yeah half of it and, and got through a quarter of it before falling asleep but um <laughs> uh john Byrne, a little wordy yeah we'll talk about that here in a few i was like why am i reading war and peace right now <laughs> well uh, to put this in the mindset of people mark you said this came out in 1979 the superman movie came out in 1978 so that story came out one year after what a lot of people saw on the big screen. And it could very well be said that Superman the movie was probably the comic book movie for quite some time. I mean, when you uh, how uh, you might be able to say some recent movies, because we're all we're we're at a period of time, 2018, where there are cinematic universes for each of the big two we got a dc cinematic universe and we have a marvel cinematic universe so (laughs) they're trying they're trying their best (laughs) that's a little better (laughs) but you got to think you know superman come on the scene back in 1978 i mean there are people people to this day who absolutely love that film Um, i do and it's 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 got staying power. It's a great movie. So it hits the scene. And then, you know, I'm sure that Superman fever probably caught, you know, this is a big theatrical release. It's a you know, it's co- it's very popular. It's comic books come to life on the big screen. We got to throw anything and everything out there to kind of throw some history at, at, at what happened on Krypton. You know, in the movie, we get our, our short, uh, I think. I don't know if it is short because it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but we see Jarrell, who was. Who was he portrayed by? It was um, Marlon Brando, right? Marlon Brando was Jor-El. Jor-El. And then, so we kind of see that destruction of Krypton, but this sounds like this story right here gives us a good history of what occurred back, uh, you know, and, and led to the planet exploding. So, uh, yeah, I mean. How I, do we I'm, go from Marlon Brando to Russell Crowe? Russell Crowe. Jor-El. Jor-El. 
<laughs> in oh, you're talking about the Man of Steel. Yeah. Okay, one sec. So schedule change. Uh-oh. Uh, we're gonna do the. Um, Imagine that. We're gonna do the uh, TV party tonight for Krypton in August. Just thought All I'd tell you. All right. I'll have to look look forward to that. I'll have to make sure I have a way of trying to watch. I don't have cable, by the way, but I do um, have the internet, sir. You, you, I was gonna <laughs> say you should later. be able to. You, you should be able to watch that on. Um, Talk to me offline, sir. Yeah. com. The book itself, I mean, Mark, you said it was a great story. Was there anything that's kind of stood out to you, like, you know, good or bad? I liked a lot of it. I really, I liked Jorel's story. I like, you can definitely tell there was a, there was an agenda with this. There was definitely in the back of the writer's mind, there was this idea of, of, of politics versus science. I don't want to get into a political debate or really a discussion about it, but I, I need to kind of bring up something that equates to what I think this book was getting at in terms of what's the message behind the page. And the take climate change. Okay. Oh, really? Cli- you know, climate change, as we understand it, is be- whether whether a combination of man-made and just the natural uh, changes in the atmosphere and such. We have a situation where water, um, sea levels are rising. Coastal cities are going to turn into Atlantis. Okay, species are going to get wiped out, etc. Et as the planet and as the planet gets warmer, you have glaciers that are melting, and that's again what's part of what's causing the sea levels to rise. The other thing that happens is with the change in atmosphere and temperature, you have currents changing, stronger hurricanes, hurricanes happening more often, and other weather events that cause world, you know, wide destruction. Mm-hmm. These are things that are proven by science, at least as we know it today. Mm-hmm. Now you have two sides of that debate. We're going to, we'll, we'll call it the Rush Limbaugh side and the science side. Okay. So the Rush Limbaugh oh, side said, really, <laughs> dude, I'm, I'm saying it's the Rush Limbaugh side because this is what the man himself has said. Okay. Right. <laughs> that there's no such thing as man-made climate change, that it's all just the natural course of, of planetary change. And there's really nothing we can do about it. It's, it's out of our hands. The underlying theory behind that being, you know, we don't want to make laws that limit business, that limit business because the businesses are responsible for creating a lot of the climate change. At least that that's the theory. Mm-hmm. Then you have the science side that says we're not really interested in that so much, though there does have to be some changes creating all of the uh, carbon dioxide and whatnot that we do. So, you know, some changes are going to have to be made to save this planet, but we're not necessarily interested in putting businesses out of business, but we do have to make changes in order to stop our current march towards death, which Mm -hmm. is where we're going. I'm not saying one should believe or disbelieve in any of what I just said. I'm saying that's the debate. And it's mirrored in World of Krypton. So you have politicians who have uh, who either are short-sighted or don't see the value in the science and say, you're crazy, Jarrell. You're crazy, and you're, you're putting a lot of fear out there. Again, this actually happens in, in real life. You're, you're putting a lot of fear out there unnecessarily. This is bad science. And then you have Jarrell going, but I've got charts and data, and I, I can prove what I just said. And they're going, nah, it's mad science. And then the world blew up. <laughs> 
Start Try. building your golden arcs now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably shouldn't build build stuff out of precious metals. I'm just, you know, wasn't. It'll it... all be worthless when the world blows up. <laughs> Again, I don't want to have the debate over global over, over climate change. But I, but do you see what I'm saying, Jesse? Do you see what I'm saying about how what I... happened with Jarrell and you know him realizing that the planet was unstable and was going to blow and no one was willing to listen to him? How that mirrors sort of contemporary. De- to contemporary environmental debate. I see where you're coming from there. It always yeah. seems like uh, the the core story of Krypton is uh, and Jor-El is always about how he knew the calamity was going to happen and he tried to or at least what I've been exposed to. He tried to he tried to warn everybody, "Oh my goodness, be ready. Be aware, you know, stop what you're doing, you're killing the world." And then of course, oh, look out, the world explodes. I don't think we're going to be exploding the world anytime soon, but that's the that's, world explode. That's, <laughs> that's that's quite an extreme. Uh, uh, that's quite no, an we're going to result. No, we're going to drown us and the polar bears. We're slowly. I, I do believe that there's possibility that we're slowly Listen, killing ourselves. This has math before in history. Nobody listened to him either. Um, and I missed the big. Oh, Noah. Yeah. Noah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Why should things be different? You know, he's. It, <laughs> it, it, I, I can't disagree. But, but that's what I liked about this, though. I, 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 I know I like that it's kind of a modern par- parable um, about oh, Noah. Of not only Noah, but just what was going on, what's been going on for decades now. I mean, this argument over what, you know, it used to be global cooling, then it was global warming. And now they just say it's climate change because they can't figure out which which one it is. But eggs are good for you. Eggs are bad for you. Eggs are good for you again. um, Bacon gives you cancer. No, it doesn't. Science! Science! (laughs) So there, there is something to be said, but I enjoyed the fact that it really takes a look at the argument between politics and science. Mm-hmm. And how these are two factions that are constantly going head to head, you know, and the Jarrell character is sort of the the symbol of science. I also like the, how it was handled. You know, I, I, I like I, I, there's things I like about Man of Steel, but one of the things I always thought was stupid was and to a degree, the, the 70s uh, Superman movie <laughs> did it the same way. You know, Jarrell standing up before the science council. The core is unstable. We're going to blow. Jarrell, you're crazy. Five minutes later, the planet blew up. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that escalated. <laughs> I'm just saying, Jarrell, a little warning would have been nice. It was like, it's like he's just sitting there, like watching a like half asleep while the monitor's blinking red. And he just wakes up and like, holy shit. <laughs> he's the, the Homer pl- Simpson of Krypton. <laughs> the planet's going. You know, maybe that's why they didn't believe you. You, my, A little warning would have been nice. Yeah. It's like one of the science cats. <laughs> Went, council went, hey, Jim, he was right. <laughs> Shut up, Stan. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so it, Look at that. The world's going to blow up. <laughs> I think it's also hard to, like, I think even in this conversation, I mean, you know, three guys that aren't too far from, you know, from each other in terms of philosophy and values, you know, some differences here or there. But I, I, I would think for the most part, we're pretty we're all pretty close. But I think even among us, you know, the idea of, the assertion that the polarite that the 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 polar ice caps are going to melt things are going to flood and the world's going to look differently essentially that's a cataclysm and and can you wrap your head around it because i i have some difficulty with that of, of believing that that could possibly be true that 
smart people that we vote into office and some not so smart ones, you know, are, have access to information that we'll never have access to and are blindly just looking away or ignoring it and, and, and allowing this to happen. Well, and the thing is, is that we elect politicians to office. We don't elect scientists. That's the problem. Right. <laughs> I mean, if we elected scientists to position, then, yeah, things would definitely change. Uh, well, that's what the, but that's interesting, because in the world of Krypton, the scientists are the politicians. Good point. Yeah, but they become politicians. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you've got a. It's just like any other big budget blockbuster disaster flick. You know, somebody I, I, I remember, what is it? The day after tomorrow where the guy has all the data is a Jeff. I can't even remember his name now. No, Randy Quaid, not Randy. Was it Randy? Anyway, one of the <laughs> no, Quaid. It was uh, Quaid, Dennis, but it was Dennis, Randy. Dennis, Dennis Quaid. Anyway, Dennis Quaid has all the data. You know, he's going up trying to tell the president. And, you know, the president's got to worry about everybody else and how the reaction's going to be. Uh, the problem is, is that, you know, in, in the day after tomorrow, the weather, the, the world's not going to explode. That's going to cause some action. Uh, I would think that, you know, if... If the world's going to explode, one of two things is going to cross my mind. Well, there is no hope because where we're at scientifically, we're, we're not going to escape that cataclysm. Uh, and it seems like the people of Krypton had that opportunity, though. They could have left. They could have gotten their ship and gone away, I would assume. Um, so, I, I don't know about you guys, but it's something I'm making good friends with Elon Musk. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, do your best. You know he's got a, he's got a rocket ship ready to go. Oh yeah, made of gold. Oh, yeah. His is made of gold. <laughs> <laughs> so so you asked me what didn't I like? A big part of Krypton's mythology is Zod's uh, Zod's rebel Zod's mm -hmm. rebellion. Yep. Which is somewhat dis discussed in Man of Steel, but not discussed at all in World of Krypton. He's in the he's in the book. Uh, oh, Darrell I was going to ask him. if he was actually there. Yeah, Darrell, when Darrell works in the rocketry program, one of his bosses is General Zod. We and have I was out to. We, uh, just while, while while you're talking there, I'm going to look up and see when the first appearances of, of Zod was, because mm. I don't know if he was something because we don't see him until Superman two in the movies. Um, so I'm curious as to what his comic book background is, but go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, apparently, and, and the book deals with this to some degree, they did a couple of test launches, which is how Superman's dog ended up on Earth eventually, was they they actually launched Superman's dog into space to test the, to test the, the ship, and the, the dog got lost in space. This this happens a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're sending all kinds of shit up on Krypton, and they're the only things that ever made it, because they weren't there when the world exploded. There is a um, Superman-powered monkey out there. Yep, yep. <laughs> That's that gets addressed. There's a dog. Um, you know, of course, we know Supergirl gets gets lost in space for a while. What did they do? Run out of animals? Is that that launch that kid? <laughs> well, I, like I said, in this iteration of the the last days of Krypton, Jarrell tried. Jarrell had an arc. And I forget what happens to it. Um, one of the other scientists does something he wasn't supposed to and ends up blowing the arc up accidentally. I think as I recall. Yeah, like you do. So that <laughs> left like that left like one one man ship left. And he was like, well, we got to save Kalel. So uh, uh, up Kalel went right before the place went uh, went up in flames. You know, it isn't like Man of Steel where, you know, <laughs> where we we deserve to die with the planet. OK, if you insist. <laughs> dumbest thing i've ever heard as as superman's mother's measuring the ship to make sure she can't get into it with him like yeah, move over okay. snuggle 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Jor-El. <laughs> uh, I did miss. I, I did misspeak. Surprise, surprise. Uh, apparently, Terrence Stamp was Zod in the 1978 Superman yeah. film as well. So yeah, that, that's how long it's been since I've seen it. I clearly remember. I mean, he's obviously a fixture in Superman too. But I uh, remember his name? Yeah, Terrence Stamp. Terrence Stamp. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he made. Why a would you say such thing when you know I will kill you for it? Kill me, Lex Luthor, the greatest mind of all time. Kill him. <laughs> now, here is here's a quick paragraph, uh, because really on the Zod Wikipedia here, uh, Wikipedia page, they have Silver Age, which is a paragraph, and then Moderate, Modern Age, which is 1985-2005. So I don't know if there's a whole lot of stories uh, that had Zod uh, as a center centerpiece. But here we go. Drew Zod is a megal- megalomaniacal Kryptonian in charge of Maniacal. the military. Thank you. Man- maniacal. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, what this, God's this name is he trying to say? second time on this podcast that I have pronounced it like that. I, I would make fun of you for mispronouncing maniacal, but I don't want to be called a racist. Megalo. <laughs> How dare you besmirch. And, and, Good name uh, of Jesse Starcher. Yeah. You know he's from Ohio. Listen to how he pronounces maniacal. Uh, <laughs> all right. Even, even the guys on the Metal Hammer Doom that commented on that would be like, you know, we got nothing for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> we tried to take up for you, but we just couldn't make it work. Uh, he's in charge of the military forces of Krypton. <laughs> He knew Jor-El, Superman's father, when Jor-El was an aspiring scientist. When the space program was abolished after the destruction of the inhabited moon, Wegthor, Wegthor, he attempted to take over Krypton. Zod created an army of robotic duplicates of himself, all bearing a resemblance to Bizarro. He was sentenced to exile in the Phantom Zone for 40 years for his crime. Zod was eventually released by Superman. When his term of imprisonment was up, however, he attempted to conquer Earth with the superpowers his Kryptonian body acquired under the Yellow Sun, the source of Superman's own superpowers. With Zod's threat now obvious, Superman was forced to oppose him and untimely, or <laughs> not untimely, ultimately returned him to the Zone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was untimely. He beat Zod. Now, well, so, okay. Purpose of me reading that was I was just trying to find out that Silver Age paragraph for Zod. I didn't know if maybe just perhaps he wasn't used in that capacity uh, as being the prominent guy who, who, uh, who you said he was a, re- a rebellious, uh, the rebellion army or whatever it was. But, you know, and that didn't seem to be touched on at all. Uh, so maybe I, I don't know. Um, don't really have much of an answer as to why he didn't show up much in that book. But uh, all right. So anything else there, Mark? No, like I said, the they don't deal with Zod's rebellion at all. Yeah. Um, he shows up a cut here and there throughout the book. There's other scientists that are like competitive with Jarrell that are more of like if you're looking for the prototypical bad guy in this story, there were other scientists who fit that bill. Zod's not one of them. Okay. Could they just like couldn't they just drawn it in the background of like Jorel talking to his his you know arch nemesis scientist like hey what's going on back there oh the zod's going off again don't worry be like oh it's a rebellion no it's not to the negative zone um yeah i did want to add that that uh Jarrell gets credit for creating the phantom zone projector phantom zone yeah oh okay okay negative zone is where Rick that's Jones an nihilist. Went. Yeah, that's a nihilist and Rick Jones and Fantastic Four stuff. Okay, well, then uh, let's go ahead. We'll hop into my section here, uh, which is, so this is 1987-1988, The World of Krypton, written by 
one John Byrne, who I think most famously, well, the guy has his writing all over Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. Fairly certain he's got his name on the X-Men as well. And we may have even covered something that he did on the podcast at one time in, in the past. Uh, yeah, John Byrne wrote this tale, night, late 80s uh, Superman tale called The World of Krypton. The artist, an artist that a lot of people may have heard of, and that's Mike Mignola. Yeah, Ronnie Adams, you know Mike Mignola very uh, – you, you ever heard of his name? I've heard his name. You've heard his name. He uh, He's done Hellboy. He's a co-creator or creator of yeah. – I think he's a creator of Hellboy. So, yeah, this is some DC work by this guy. Mike Mignola's got a interesting art style, at least – what I've seen on Hellboy. This, I don't know if this looks like it or not. I can't say I've read too much Hellboy. I can tell you I've seen covers of Hellboy and, and drawings by Mike Mignola. Superman and Hellboy are two different, two, two totally different beings. That's for sure. But the art style just looks a little bit, I want to say cleaner. Uh, but uh, let me share the picture here at some point. Let me pull it up. And there we go. Okay. So, all right. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to summarize the first two issues as quick as I can. You guys can hop in with any talking points you want to between issues one and two. And then we uh, I'll do three and four, same thing. And then we're out of here. Issue one, Krypton, thousands of years before its destruction. We are shown a young man by the name of Van L, uh, who is now that's L just letter L, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, Van L, who is on the final on his final day prior to completing his rite of passage to become a man. During a fun air vehicle chase, uh, yeah, fun, I guess we'll call it, a fun air vehicle chase, a horrific accident almost kills his love interest, a girl by the name of Vara. Uh, Luckily, he is able to get her to the local doctor in time for them to perform extensive surgery and organ replacement in order to save her life. However, she has recovered enough to attend Van L's celebration that evening. Unfortunately, the day is marred by a couple other tragedies. The The city of Kandor is besieged in battle between two camps of Kryptonians. Those that believe the use of mindless clones used for prolonging life are necessary, and those that believe the practice to be immoral. For every Kryptonian, there's three clones kept in stasis for use in keeping the actual people alive and well past their prime. It is a debate that has gained more and more prominence as days go on. Also, the night of his rite of passage, during Van El's celebration, it's ruined when a family friend is murdered by her own son in a fit of rage and is (laughs) stuck right there in front of everybody. Who hasn't had that in their family? Dude, I mean, he has this gun. He has the gun and he's got his mom by, you know, by her by her shirt. And I'm like, oh, somebody's going to stop him. No, he pulls the trigger and blows her head off. Obviously off panel. This is uh, late 80s. You're not going to see it, but it happens. He kills her. And he stopped from taking his own life. Kills her dead. That's right. He stopped from taking his own life in front of all the attendants there at the party. As soon after that, that Van L and his father find out the truth. Can Z, which was the guy's name, Can Z was set to be married, and his mother Naira had orchestrated it years ago so that he would marry her own clone by giving her a mind and a personality. Now this is twisted shit. Hang on, let me let me just help you clear this up. So they have essentially a garden of clone people. For every one person, they have three duplicates, and this is strictly for mining body parts and and uh, and extending the life of the one person. And the debate, and so it's again. And this is kind of like the abortion debate mm-hmm. um, or the death penalty debate, which is, you know, do these clones have rights? 
I would say it's also like the clone debate. I mean, granted, we haven't cloned any person on this planet. <laughs> I was going to say there's really I, no debate. It's illegal. Well, right now it is for people. Yes. Uh, but I could see it. Dude, they're, they're cloning animals. Well, animals have no soul. <laughs> uh, that, okay. Uh, <laughs> I I just heard that Meryl Streep. My Street... dog grumbled as soon as you said that. <laughs> I had just recently heard that Meryl Streep cloned her cloned own dogs. dogs. Yes, yeah. that's crazy. All right, so Naira, who is Kansi's mom, this is how twisted that is. Naira goes and finds her clone. I think essentially they're like mindless bodies that are yeah. just kind of kept in stasis. Yeah, there it's yeah, like I said, it's just a garden of bodies. Yeah, with, with no minds. And she somehow gives injects like whatever her genetic code or something into this body, and it gives it a mind and a personality. Now it's not an exact clone of the adult Naira. No, it's like a uh, I would assume an adolescent. Um, not an adolescent. Child, a young teenager, woman. Young woman. Okay. Young woman. And It'll make it creepier than it is. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if like she cultivated him. No, it's the ultimate Jewish mom thing. She she creates a clone, a young a, a younger version of herself for her son to marry. <laughs> we didn't know this at the time, but Kryptonians are actually all Jewish. They're Jewish. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, uh, Twenty thousand well, downvotes on my YouTube page. <laughs> Bring it on, racist. Thank you. The chosen people. That's right. Um, she gives this clone a personality, you know, a, a mind of their own. Kanzi falls in love, with, falls in love with her, and they're to be married. Uh, it's his fiance, and then he finds out. Like I love at the beginning of this book, where you you kind of see Kanzi because I was going through it a second time, where he's just freaking out over no reason after this robot shows up. And he's like, uh, "Yes, sir, we can confirm," and he just takes off running, going, "No!" And you're like, "What the hell is that dude's problem?" Well, yeah. I think we understand why things are crazy there. He finds his mom uh, after murdering his fiance, finds his mom, shoots her in the head in front of this whole party and is about to kill himself. And they they stop him. Now, this this knowledge, uh, this knowledge obviously drove Kanzi to murder his fiance and his mom. Uh, but the real issue is that now Krypton is aware of the news that a clone can be considered a person by adding and that by adding a personality in the mind to him. And this just does nothing but add more fuel to the age long debate that is now currently resulting in violence. OK, so that's kind of where issue one leaves off. Let's get into issue two. Van L looks on as the battle has now intensified uh, with an end result of where Kandor is actually destroyed by an anti-clone uh, organization by the name of Black Zero. Vara, Black Zero. Uh, <laughs> Vara, Van L's love, is becoming a person that believes in, in what Black Zero is fighting for, while Van L believes in the old ways. Vara, after a long uh, discussion slash argument, leaves him. Years later, Van L has joined the military and is making a raid on a Black Black Zero headquarters, to which he finds standing against him Vara. When they come face to face, Vara is shaken and runs outside and is caught in an explosion. And Van Van L watches the love of his life die. Fast forward some more years, and Van L alone heads to the clone banks, a shell of what they were after the Great War. He arrives and is greeted by some survivors. Van L explains that he needs their help as Black Zero has now become reborn with the intent to destroy Krypton. 
So that's issues one and two. A look at Van L and his escapades across, uh, well, across a good bit, little bit of time of Krypton, uh, watching this this crazy war break out about clones and their and their rights and the political debate amongst the Kryptonian people, uh, and also his love Vara, you know that that he that he was deeply in love with, and then because of politics, they went their separate ways, pretty much. So. All right. I, I guess, Mark, we'll start with you, man. What do you think of these first two issues? It's been a while since I've read like pure science fiction um, that wasn't. I mean, yeah, I, I understand this is a Superman prequel, but if but it's it has so little to do with our modern understanding of Superman that you could be convinced that these first two to three issues, since it really doesn't mention Jarrell at all have nothing to do with Superman at all. And we're just an independent science fiction comic book. And that's kind of the mindset that I went into with this. I sort of separated myself from the knowledge that Krypton is Superman's home and just read this story and kind of see where it unfolded. And I liked Again, some of the allusions to modern debates, you know, uh, um, again, I look at specifically the like abortion debate subbing in for this debate over clone rights, you know, and this idea of you have these two, you have these two beliefs that manifest themselves in in these huge groups of people that have decided that the only way to to settle this conflict is through violence. Well, Jesus, that doesn't speak to some of our, you know, to the things having going on in the modern world right now. I don't know what does. So I, I enjoyed all of that. I enjoyed, again, the science fiction elements melding with with the political and the philosophical. It's a little sometimes it's a little it feels a little George Lucasy, you know, with, with some of the names and, and some of the, the proper nouns of things. I, I got a little lost at times and I had to kind of go back and read stuff. But I wasn't uh, at all disinterested in what was going on. Um, I was very much much interested in where this was going and what it and how it related to krypton's inevitable demise one hell of a weird way to get to with the whole mother thing having her her own son uh it's just so weird i mean there's so many other ways to go about bringing bringing that on bringing that whole discussion or bringing that plot point forward It, it was just so weird um that's probably my biggest I wouldn't say concern, but I'm my, probably my biggest thing taken out of these first two issues. I think at this point in Kryptonian history, there weren't any murders. That's what made this thing so horrific. This guy shows up and kills his mom in front of everybody. Well, my thing is, you know, in the 80s, why did they feel the need to make everybody wear, like, all the men had no shirts, but had these giant WWE belts? <laughs> um <laughs> And capes and everything, but then they, you know, they look like they're from medieval times half the time, but they pull out a blaster from nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but that was the 80s. This was very 80s. It definitely and, had a Flash Gordon feel to it, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what I was looking for. But, Flash. Uh, I think uh, Flash Gordon is Michael K. Easton's, or at least one of Michael K. Easton's favorite movies. I had a hard time with this. I'm not going to lie. Was it the words? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> trust me. I understand, man. Ronnie doesn't like words. <sighs> it's Oh, come on. On the scale of Kevin Smith to, you know, 300, <laughs> this, this was squaw in the middle. Uh, I'll give yeah. you that. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that, too. It, it did seem a little excessive at times. Like... <laughs> And granted, I mean, this is late 80s storytelling. You know, there's not really a whole lot that we can 
it's hard to put myself in the mindset of what it was like back in the 80s and what was being written. Really? Well, in the late 80s, I I wasn't collecting to read the storyline that was coming out. I was collecting because I liked what the book looked like. I was 10 years old, so I, there wasn't much to where I was going, oh, man, this is such a great story. I've got to get it. No, it's Spider-Man or it's or it's Superman. That's all it I was looking pretty. for. Okay, but yeah. you're not 10 now. I'm not, I, I guess I'm I'm lost as to what, what was the issue you were having well, with it. What I'm saying is that, okay, words – Telling a story is are hard, different. <laughs> when you look at, I wish, okay, if you take this comic book and compare it <laughs> t- 10 years later in 1988, or excuse me, 1998, grab yourself an image book, specifically one from Rob Liefeld. Take, take a look at how many words are on that page and how much of the story is told through through actual like art. What you have here, I think, feels more like, okay, John Byrne had a story to tell. And he you had, don't need a thought bubble over everything. Yes. That's what drove me kind of up the wall. I like that's what I mean, drives me up the wall about any 80s comic book. Yeah. John John Byrne had a story to tell. It was almost like a book, and then somebody took the comic and wrote around, you know, wrote around it or drew around it, I guess I should say. Some of it felt almost unnecessary. I mean, not every page had to be packed full of text for me to go, oh, okay, I really needed to know that. I needed to know that internal conflict, but I don't know. I may, maybe it was the experience with last year's Daredevil that that we did, where like, well, as long as it's less than that, I can. I can <laughs> okay, <laughs> but okay, um, I, I had a hard time getting through it, but I like the storyline, I like the concept of it. Um, I enjoyed that. It had a very Game of Thrones feel with you know killing, <laughs> killing your own mother in front of everybody and then committing suicide. Shakespeare, Game of Thrones, yeah, mixed with Masters of the Universe, but uh, pretty apt. and Flash. Mm. Ah! Save every one of us. Stand for every one of us. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but for you know what I could get through it and and uh, and what I gleaned from it, I enjoyed. Yeah, there, Vera was not a big surprise to me because they kind of left that like, oh, he doesn't know who she is. Well, you know, she, you could tell because she's like the only person with blue hair in this whole freaking book. You know, when he finds that bunch of survivors there, I'm like, well, that's even though she, it looked like she died, she's not dead, and he has no clue. So let's go ahead. We'll get into issues three and four. We'll we'll, we'll get this thing finished out. So issue three. As we get to issue three, the story is now being told far into the future by a young his- history enthusiast, Jorel. Jorel is also about to embark on a life-changing event as his parents have decided that he should be paired with a lady by the name of Laura. And today is the first day they get, uh, I don't know if they get to meet or they, he's no, just. No, they're not supposed to meet. Yeah, That's they the don't whole meet. thing. And this iteration of Krypton, Kryptonian society, what happened was they've settled on a set number of Kryptonians. One died. You yeah. Know, I don't know. Like he spilled hot coffee on his dick and ran into traffic and got <laughs> ran over by a car. <laughs> well, that's just a terrible way to go. <laughs> not, not a good way to die. <laughs> Anywho, so the, what, we're down one Kryptonian. They're elected to uh, mix their egg and sperm and create a new Kryptonian to replace the one that died. They're not actually supposed to meet. That was never, you know, like that's not part of their society. So Jarrell, who's apparently a rebel, uh, actually asked is like to see what she looks like. You know, like the big horn dog that he is. That's how. Yeah, and that actually like goes dead against protocol and society and all of that. But you know, he ends up seeing her anyway, and they fall like naturally in love. 
Yeah, it's very it's very much at odds with how Kryptonian society is operating at that time. I mean, there would be years uh, if uh, the only thing that would bring people together in the presence of each other was if there was a great disaster or something like that or something that had to be something of great importance. Uh, So you could live your life in solitude uh, for a very, very long time you know, as a resident of Krypton. And not only that, I mean, you're, it's almost like you're immortal uh, because they've now figured out ways to, uh, I'll probably repeat this here as I go through the summary, but they figured out ways to obviously get away from the clone usage and and they've used suits. So as his parents have decided that he should be paired with a lady by the name of Laura. Gazing back into history, Jor-El watches Van-El and the leader of the survivors make their move on Black Zero. Black Zero has secured a great egg-shaped weapon, and when Black Zero's leader shows his face, it is revealed that it is an aged Kan-Z. So Kan-Z, remember, he's the guy that killed his mom and his fiance. Uh, After saying the weapon is there to bring about the end of time itself. Kanzi activates the weapon, destroying most around him. Vanel is still alive and barely, uh, f- he, and he finds the leader of the survivors. And with her last breath, he realizes that she was his lost love, Vara. We end the book in the future with Jor-El, who is told of the unex- of the expected union of his genetic material, sperm, egg, whatever, uh, his genetic material with Laura's, and Jor-El is quite all right with that. <laughs> Uh, so that's the end of issue three. Now we fast forward to the present day in issue four, where Superman, our, our beloved hero of the DC universe, meets up with Lois Lane to give her an exclusive for the Daily Planet. Uh, the exclusive Superman story, uh, the exclusive is Superman's story about his family from Krypton. It is here we learn that Van L was Superman's grandfather, a thousand generations removed. After the events with Black Zero, Van L went forward to rebuild Krypton. Kryptonians went on to make scientific advancements to prolong their life by wearing bio suits, abandoning the savagery of using clones as spare parts. Kryptonians nearly eliminated death, and gestation chambers were created to make infants from the genetics of two people who usually never even met. Jorel soon takes an interest in his son and a fascination with Laura, but never per. I don't think he actually meets her. He just kind of creeps on her, doesn't he? Like I, I got the feeling like they didn't meet until like the very end panel. Are you guys? You got the same? I think the thing that I remembered because they made such a big deal about it was asking to see her. But no, he might not have seen her until like the very end of the right before yeah, on blue. That's that's kind of that's kind of the impression I got as well. Uh, but he would like he would like creep on her. It's like they didn't meet, but he would like go watch her work. Working at the library that she worked at, uh, Jarrell soon takes an interest in his son and a fascination with Laura, but never personally meeting her. Then a great calamity strikes Krypton. Jorel is in, he was informed of a great earthquake, and in the span, like because he was informed, he, he fucking felt it. But the robots came in, you know. He's he's like, what what happens? So the robots tell him that it, within a span of half a solar cycle, which I assume is a day. That's my guess. In the span of a half a solar cycle, Why can't they just say day? Yeah, yeah, I know. 20 million Kryptonians died. Okay, now this is a society that hasn't experienced a whole lot of death. And when it, when it happens, you know, it's very rare. Well, 20 million they died. They do something. They do it right. <laughs> it done happens. It done got done here. 20 million Kryptonians died. So Jor-El embarks upon a mission of research. He then returns to the moment 
that he left off viewing the the escapades of Van L versus Black Zero. So he looks at at what happened during that moment that Black Zero detonated that bomb in the past. He finds that because of this detonation of this weapon, Krypton has been handed a death sentence and will now is on the verge of being destroyed and exploding. Uh, securing his infant son from the gestation chambers, he head back. He heads back to home. Laura arrives concerned about his actions and he explains that in the next hour krypton will be no more and his his intent is to save his son by sending him to earth launching the ship jarell is content now since he is with his wife laura and is able to die with her uh and off goes superman out into or, or kal-el out into space and that's where we ended there's a few they 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 kind of go back to the present where Superman's actually crying after telling the story. I mean, it's a little bit, obviously clearly emotional as to what happened. There you go. That's issues uh, three and four and how we turn, finished it out. So Ronnie, we'll start with you. I mean, what do you think? what did you think of the story, man? It was good. I mean, everybody needs to hear a little backstory of, of their, uh, their favorite superhero and, and, and well, everybody's favorite superhero. I don't care what anybody says. So I, I enjoyed this. This was a different end. This was, uh, I won't lie about, it was about, you know, number three, I started to peter out a little bit on, on being able to read it. Oh, it, um, it gets but, cumbersome. Uh, yeah, but I, I enjoyed what I read. I really did. Did you recognize, I don't know if you remember or not, but when we did uh, the death of Superman or the return of Superman, did you recognize that those robots that Van L was running around was the same type of robot that Superman was in? Yeah, yeah. At, at, where he was uh, like gestating in there and then he kind of drops through the crotch. <laughs> That happens yeah, in the yeah, Superman. If I remember right, it happens in the uh, Return of Superman as well. Okay, Mark Radlich, what do you think? I didn't like this one as much as Volume One. Okay, I thought I thought the Jarrell character was really really interesting. I thought his struggle, as as I was saying before, when when you had me do the uh, when you had me do the synopsis of the first volume, I was much more into his personal story and his connection, his struggles, you know, with a Krypton that was you know that was limping towards uh blowing up this one i wasn't as connected to the to oh gosh who's the the leader of the um the, the relative of jor-el that was van l was it van l the one that kills his mother is like Kazal or something oh, like that. Can Z. Can Z. Okay, yeah. So Van L. I think it just wasn't as connected to Van L. Okay. So I thought, you know, as a history lesson, you know, and it relating to Jarrell and how Jarrell was thinking about the world, I thought it was fine. I definitely thought it was an interesting bit of of, of Kryptonian history. Could have been dealt with in one issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is kind of what I feel like with the upcoming Krypton series. Like there are characters and we we see three characters that we kind of pretty much know about. That's Superman, we see Jor-El, we see Laura. All these other characters, Vanel, Kanzi, Vara, I've never heard of before. And as to whether they I, I, I doubt they've ever been well, I don't know. I, I I would assume that they've never been spoken of prior to this series. That is kind of what we're going to get, I would assume, with the Krypton television series we're going to see a lot of stuff we've never even heard about the uh, krypton series is about Sagel, which is jor-el's father sag okay okay all right so again you ever heard of that name until i'll be honest with you i wasn't the hugest fan of superman so a lot of the stuff I'm, i've only learned like in really since being a part of this podcast and delving into things a little bit more honestly like i said i wasn't a huge fan of the superman comic to begin with so 
It's all new to me. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the point is, is that John Byrne had these characters told this story. And the idea was to try and get you to care about these characters. That's that's going to be what the Krypton series has got to try and do. They're going to try and bring a bunch of somewhat unknown characters and make you care about them. Well, the big villain in this is supposed to be Brainiac. So, I mean, ooh, well, <laughs> uh, that's that's a name that's recognizable. That's for sure. Who? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> whatever. You know, my my thoughts on the series, uh, I've given a, some criticism in regards to the writing. Okay, fine, that whatever. Um, it's John Bernie. I feel I still think he he told a pretty decent story here. You know, I I did. It was all connected to Superman. They made that obvious at the end. Who Van L was, how he was tied to Superman, and how the politics and you know how, how this all got resolved before the planet got the planet got done blowed up. Uh, so <laughs> the planet is. <laughs> it exploded. So I liked the story itself. It was it was just kind of tough to get through. I mean, seriously, dude, mm-hmm. I sat down here and it took me about an, maybe forty five minutes to an hour to read to read it. You know, I, I can't gripe about that. It's like I said, it's late eighties comics. It's John Byrne. He, he, he's he's told a somewhat decent story. Mike Mignola art early. I mean, I assume this is early Mike Mignola art. I, I, I dug it, and I'm curious. Maybe some of these characters will be mentioned in the. I don't think it goes back that far though. The hell, you never know. All right, let's get out of here. I don't have really much anything else to say. I, I'm glad we had the opportunity to, to to talk about it. You know what was funny? You know, we're going to talk about this on the Tomb Raider podcast. I guarantee it. Uh, but, you know, we read this book. My opinion of it right now is what I just gave. But when we watch the Krypton series, my opinion of this book might actually change because, you know, this may be a good primer for what we're what we're going to get in the the Krypton series itself. Uh, you never know. But, uh, you know, it's funny because we did the the Tomb Raider book and we were just like, uh, well, OK, there's not much great to say here. I go and watch the movie. And I'm like, oh, man, I know this. I know that. I know this and I know that. And and it was it was mm-hmm. it wasn't intended to be because, the you know, the book we read was supposed to be after that. But it was a good primer. I went into that movie knowing more about the characters and, and at least some of the settings and stuff like that. So so let's get out of here. Uh, let's start with uh, let's start with you, Ronnie Adams. Um, let's talk about plugs. What do you got coming up here on the Screaming Boy podcast, sir? In two weeks, we're going to be recording an episode about the sad event of the closing of Toys R Us. So uh, on our show, the Screaming Boy podcast, we will be addressing part of our childhood dying and <laughs> so much I- more depressing than I meant it to be. But <laughs> I want to I want to ask a real quick question. Either of you guys gone to a Toys R Us here? Recently, yeah. Not recently, I, yeah, I, yeah, I have, but yeah, I go, I, I go pretty frequently. It's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to do this discussion. Are they marking it? Are they marking stuff down at all? Okay, I haven't been to one since they announced that they were closing. Okay, I just went to mine up here, and there's nothing marked down. And you know mm-hmm. that I'm a big collector of uh, pops, Funko. Yeah, mm-hmm. pops. Well, they uh, Funko just released a flocked, meaning um, furry, I guess, Jeffrey the giraffe gone in three minutes. Oh, no kidding. Yeah three freaking minutes yeah it's not surprising uh, online yeah so they're supposed to re-release it from toys r us on the 25th i think uh which will probably last about half as long yeah um but it's it's one of those things where this is i mean this is how big this is it's it's history mm-hmm. so, i took a selfie with the toys r us sign behind my back yeah that's you know because it is his, it's historic we'll save that for the podcast go ahead 
I just went to, uh, as I've been announcing frequently on, on plugs, uh, I, t- I went to the North Carolina Comic Con in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is the, they named uh, the Oak City, you know, Oak City Comic Con. Um, and I tell you what, I had a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was a lot better of experience than I had the last time that I went to a North Carolina Comic Con. It was, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of things that led to me having a really good weekend when I was there. I got to meet Kevin Eastman of Eastman and Laird, you know, co-creator of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The man could not have been nicer. The that was just such a good experience. Um, I waited in line about two hours to get his signature. They were doing two signatures if you bought a VIP ticket, which I had a VIP and one free signature if you had a you just bought a weekend pass. Or just bought a pass. So he was signing free, you know, one free or two free. Um, but he did charge for other signatures and, you know, books he had out and artwork he was doing. And which I get because that's, you know, he makes his money on that. They gave me a uh, con exclusive comic book that he that he did the art for. So I had him sign that. And then I bought uh, another, teen- well, I brought with another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue of Raphael and um, Casey Jones. You know, their, their adventure out out and about it was like a one issue mini you know like mini arc and one of the guys that was with him one of his uh one of his assistants we looked at it and went oh that's a good one so he signed both of them drew a turtle you know a turtle teenage ninja turtle face on it nice uh, i also yeah it was really cool i mean it was just such a cool experience made made standing in line all that time so worth it yeah. so worth it just to you know shake his hand have him have him thank me oh thank you so much for coming thank you for waiting and i'm like no thank you for putting up with a bunch of wild-eyed nerds <laughs> you know uh and badge of honor not not nerd shaming or anything like that i got to meet walter simonson uh, of, yeah, uh, writer and uh, and an artist of Thor. When I was reading it, I got him to sign Thor number three thirty seven through three forty for me, and he did a custom sketch on one of the backboards, just off the wall of Ragnarok. Uh, Thor issue number three thirty seven is the first appearance of Beta Ray Bill, which is a character he created. So it was really cool to get to talk to him a little bit, and it was just like we were, you know, his friends. You know, he was talking to everybody in line. He was just, you know, laughing with us, cutting up. His wife was there, who he has worked with. You know, uh, she's written, he's drawn. She's done her own work. They actually asked her, hey, uh, how was it working with Rob Liefeld? And I've never heard anybody laugh as loud and quick as Walter did when somebody asked that asked for that. <laughs> and he was like, ha, ah, ah. ha. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a good story. She goes, you know what? There were some really good moments of working with him. He's a really, you know, he's talented. And that was it. Oh, nice. I was like, that is really classy. Mm-hmm. That is really classy. So they were they were wonderful people as well. I did some shopping. I did a little too much shopping, I think, uh, at the booth. There was some good cosplay. There was some uh, a great podcast panel. I got to be a part of the Nerd Slam, which is uh, nerd trivia. Uh, I got to be a part of Fanboy Faceoff, which is a debate between you know your character and their character. The gentleman that hosts that said, hey, I want to do one DC character versus one Marvel character. And one kid said, uh, he's a younger kid, and he said, well, I'll, I'll do Dr. Manhattan. And I was like, oh, you're trying to cheat, are you? <laughs> and um, so I'm sitting there with this look on my face, and he knows me from uh, several other cons that we've both, you know, he's, he, he, he writes uh, a book called uh, From Faith to Fandom, um, and, and uh, he, he goes to a lot of Comic-Cons. Uh-huh. Uh, great guy. 
And he said, "I, right, Ronnie, what are you, what are you chewing on over there? What are you thinking?" I said, "Well, um, it's kind of cheating." He said, "No, just do it, man. Just say it." And I said, "Well, Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet," and I destroyed the child. And it was a lot of fun trying to, you know, for this kid, you know, trying to defend Dr. Manhattan versus, you know, the mad Titan Thanos with, you know, basically two God level characters going at each other. One of them was just crazier than the other. Nice. Um, so uh, it was, it was a lot of fun and I, I'm looking forward to it because the next one I'm going to actually is called Twin City Comic Con in Winston-Salem and it's going to be one day con. It's, there's going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be, a, I think a smaller one because it's only like five bucks to get in things like that so it's, that one's going to be a little more intimate you know more uh more book related than anything i think uh and it's that's going to be a lot of fun then i'm going to head on out to raleigh supercon which is the huge one with a lot of different stars you know uh dave batista sean gunn um you know mantis from from guardians of the galaxy uh, mick foley ddp sergeant slaughter rick Fla- uh, no not rick flair he's not gonna be there <laughs> I've been great. Um, he, he was there last year. That's why I was thinking that. But uh, uh, you know, Trish Stratus is going to be there, along with Amy Joe Johnson, uh, Lou Ferrigno. A lot of big names are going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun to go, uh, and and uh, a lot of a lot of great stuff. I did not get my Ghostbusters cosplay uh, ready in time, so I did not get to wear it this time around. But definitely for Raleigh SuperCon because it is now almost done, and I'm working on a ghost trap to carry with me. You know, uh, Ray's ghost trap. There's a lot of you can find us on any kind of social media. On Facebook, it is at Scream or just look up Scream Boy Podcast. On on Twitter, it's at Scream Boy PR, and on Instagram, which is all of our pictures, you know, all the pictures that I took and everything, are going to be on Instagram. It's just Scream Boy Podcast. So it was a fantastic time, a really good weekend. Um, uh, it was just it, it was really cool to to be a part of it. If you if you're interested, go look at the. Pictures pictures we're going to be talking a little bit about it you know uh, i may do a, a quick con show before the toys r us one but uh, other than that we'll be definitely be talking about it on the shows it's going to be uh, i mean in raleigh supercon supercon is going to be amazing so uh, i think i've you know stuttered and uh, and talked enough so i will turn it over to you just all right well then so um what dropped today on the rattle and broadcasting network is our source material Tomb Raider Volume 1 Season of the Witch discussion. Go ahead and check that out. Also check out our Metal Hammer of Doom Extras for Judas Priest Spectre, Judas Priest Lightning Strike, and then our most popular video oh reaction. <laughs> oh boy. Oh. Uh, popular. Uh, yes. People really, uh, really, really reacted to this one. It's Baby Metal performing with Judas Priest. They did a hell of a job. It was fantastic. Mark, are you a baby metal fan? I am very much so. I've done two shows, one show a piece for their albums, and it's still one of their it's still one of my saved playlists on uh, on Spotify. Jesse, are you a baby metal fan? I do enjoy the baby metal. It's it's they got a great sound and and I've had the opportunity to talk about their last album and the I think I at least know for a fact that I listened to the podcast about the first one. So I I have enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed me some baby metal. Suck at YouTube commenters. <laughs> <laughs> They're fine. They're they're fine. They they they're are not. they are entitled to believe whatever that they, they, they want to believe. No, they're and, not. And as Jesse says, a listen's a listen. So there. There you go. We got two hundred and twenty some of them. Yep. Three hundred some of them. If you want to combine them. Yeah. So meh. 
Yeah, the trash heap has spoken. Yeah, um, tomorrow night. Uh, if you've liked, if you enjoy listening specifically to Jesse, Ronnie, and me talk about whatever, then you're gonna get another dose of that tomorrow on Damn You Hollywood. Robert Winfrey is in Hollywood if she could, so he won't be able to join us. So I've got Jesse and Ronnie to talk about the new Tomb Raider on Wednesday. Uh, as I was saying before, before you turn into Krypton, check out the Metal Hammer of Doom. We love everybody on the Metal Hammer of Doom. We so, think you're okay. So we're going to review the new Judas Priest album, Firepower. And then on Thursday, the last on trial for the month of March, we're going to look at Lara Croft, Tomb Raider 2, The Cradle of Life. So that'll be fun. Next week here, a here in our shoe. Right here on the show. Right here on the Rattlets and Broadcasting Network. Uh, on the 26th of March, the show... <laughs> now you just sell an old Tommy in the country. <laughs> Uh, this show will be up in its edited format on the Metal Hammer, sorry, on the Rattle and Broadcasting Network. So, <laughs> Metal like, Hammer of Doom Network. You can see where where Eddie, you know, where where Jesse rather frustratingly took out the parts that just annoyed the piss out of him, and either left them on the cutting room floor or put them in the gag reel. So that'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> we'll always have the raw file. I think it'll we'll always be there on source material. That's right. Uh, on Damn You Hollywood will be the turn of Robert Winfrey and we'll be reviewing Pacific Rim Uprising oh yeah that's right that's coming out that's another thing to use movie pass on Metal Hammer of Doom we'll be reviewing another one of Jesse's favorite bands for real though not for play play this is The Sword Used Future which I believe got a pretty good review on some of the uh, metal blogs good 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 and then the aforementioned uh, Screaming Boy now is that going to be like a live live show yeah we're going to go live on YouTube through you know we're going to be uh Kind of like this, live on YouTube, and then we'll just pull it off of the, uh, pull it off there and put it up on iTunes and the Radio Broadcasting Network. Okay. Don't know why I said it like that. Okay. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, go give the Rattlich in Broadcasting Network Facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts that we have to offer. There is usually a link to something going up just about every day. I know for sure at least two or three links every week to find our podcasts either on YouTube or Spreaker. Uh, we're on iTunes. Just search Rattlich, R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H. Rate, subscribe, do whatever you want to do there. Comment. Yeah, we have a comment. We love them. For it. Yeah, sure. Please um, express yourself. Express yourself. Flash. So- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't hit them high notes. So. Uh, <laughs> you just woke up everyone in your house. <laughs> no, these people can sleep through a fucking bomb. <laughs> We've got we've got some great Metal Hammer of Doom extras on, on online, and I, I mean it's on the source material uh, Facebook or excuse me source material YouTube page. Uh, yeah, I'm so sorry I didn't mean to make low, low fart sound. Uh, please ignore that, ladies and gentlemen. That's Ronnie Adams. Yep, that's Mark Radlich. My name is Jesse Starcher. Have a good one. Flash. Will be nominated for podcast of the year and have a hundred upvotes. If you post it on mine, the FBI will come and drag me out of the house in front of my children. Cold, what are you doing? <laughs> Daddy! <laughs> Daddy, the Wi Fi is broken again. <laughs> Daddy! Daddy, I've forgotten how to internet. Give me a second, I'll be right back. Uh oh.
That child's over. That child's about to get beat. <laughs> you know, it's been a while since <laughs> I. <I've... laughs> We've ruined it. God damn it! You ruined my Unos. <laughs> you see. You, you see. see? <laughs> yeah. I have wrecked this show. Um, it's a living. I don't know. Your mom ever tried to set you up with somebody? I can. I. I. I saw where he was coming from. <laughs> That's horrible. Flash, I love you, but we've only got a few minutes left. You know the whole song, don't you? Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm a big Queen fan. Listen to their other stuff and then listen to that. Okay, are you saying they didn't put a whole lot of time and effort into it? No! Flash, ah, uh, king I... of the impossible. He's for every one of us. Stand for every one of us. We, I know we have this shtick going on. <laughs> but I'm, I'm asking you, I'm asking you now as a friend. Yes, stop. Sir. All right. <laughs> You're, you're not winning an argument here. <laughs> I just want to go back to the cause of death. <laughs> that was way too specific. <laughs> Coffee on the table. Did you, did you know someone? <laughs> we didn't talk. Yeah, uh, he was in the bushes, dick out, hand I on I don't it. know about all that. <laughs> At least that wasn't in the comic. Not the Jeez. comic I read. Might be in the trade. Might be in the trade. <laughs> Yeah, gotta gotta reprint. Oh yes, yeah, so we found some uh, we found some lost material here. Put it back. Put it back. Of <laughs> Jarell in the bushes. Mark Radlich, tell us about the schedule. What we got coming up here on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. Why do you sound like you're holding your nose? It's all peace, love, and pussy grease. That's what that's what we're all uh, about there oh, on the Metal Hour. <laughs> the crap, man. <laughs> um, that, that could not have gone worse. I have a last minute packing thing. I'm leaving for Hawaii in three hours and still haven't opened my suitcase. I never have time to pack and download shows before leaving for the airport. But I just got super fast fiber internet for my house and all those problems have vanished. I mean, I still wait until it's three hours before my flight to pack, but now I'm able to download my favorite shows in seconds while I run out the door. Super fast fiber internet. AT&T. More for your thing. That's our thing. Limited availability may not be available in your area. Actual customer speeds may vary and are not guaranteed. Go to att.com slash get fiber to see if you qualify.